So I was just watching you again today after yep. yesterday's performance and yep. thinking, so the idea with the mustard, Yep. so you've got this coffee which is born out of um, innovation and yep. development, and did you feel you wanted to do something particularly unique with the signature drink to, to reflect that? It kind of started out with me thinking that the way would be unique enough, to be honest, because okay. of the kind of, it's kind of a strange thing to think about, just producing way. And last year I wanted to do it. Part of innovation is actually coming back to an idea yep. and pushing it forward. I mean, if you look at like Rue 11, developed in the 70s, released in 1985. Yep. So part of that was that. Um, but I knew that it needed more complexity and I had Jamie Trivi telling me that it needed more complexity. So okay. that's where I thought, we need to pick something unusual, uh -huh. um, and that's why we went for it. It wasn't mustard initially. I was thinking, I kind of looked in the fridge and I looked for anything that causes like heat sensation, yeah. for the effervescence sensation that I was looking for. Without, was, was there a concern that it would overpower the... Uh... Yeah, so I actually had, there's a, probably a photo of this, like a matrix of like six different mustards, six different like levels of mustard with yeah. honey. It's not just, you, just you and the mustard. And your kubas, oh. forced to taste them as well, <laughs> which is a very strange thing to experience. But um, yeah, it was good. It was. And did the so the way side of it? Did you change that with the mustard, or was it okay? I've got that. Way we did also levels. We did levels of raspberry. We wanted to see how low in terms of the fruit we could go to still split the milk. Yeah. And then how high, um, in before it became overpowering. Um, and we experimented with three or four different measures um, and found that this particular measure was the nice balance between the two, brought forward the aromas, but also let that lactic acid come through, not too overpowering of the espresso, and okay. yeah, gave us what we want. And um, it's been quite a year for you, lots of competing. Yeah. <laughs> so the goal right at the beginning was to do every single competition. Yeah. I mean, you're doing very well. Working on it. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking, actually, so the UKBC, how many times have you done this? This is my fifth time. Fifth time, wow. Fourth, fifth time, something like this. Let's just say goodbye to some judges. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Puns. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can talk to me and make coffee now. Oh, right, okay. You've been doing it a lot. Yeah, that's been today's theme. Um, so tell, t tell us a bit how you're brewing the coffee. Espresso. Nice. Um, I think they want. Uh, I don't think they want espresso. <laughs> what would you guys like? <laughs> should we make espresso? Should we make milk? I still have some milk. Do you want to do? Do you want to split it halfway? We'll do two and two. Two and two. I'll pull some espresso. I'll pull everything. Okay. Just do everything. Um, sure. I'll bring a tray. See, I'll be all servicey. Yeah. So I'm pulling the shots. At 19 grams in, and uh, 43 grams out. Uh, drawing them out a little bit further. Um, in hopes of flavor clarity, basically. I, I, tried, I tried a lower dose, didn't work really well, just in uh, kind of choices. Yep. So 19 grams in, 43 out, gave me a really nice range of flavor, which is the key thing. Um, yeah. And when you were developing, so you developed the roast profile with Jamie? Well, no, Jamie developed it and I trusted him. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah. And did he, in considering the setup and everything you were using, was it done with that in mind, that feedback loop? No, I actually um, roasted the coffee, we roasted it for everyone, and then yep. I dialed it in accordingly. Okay. Um, so, yeah, kind of, I don't know, like, in that sense for me, it was, there is always the option of that, but I think there's something to be said about, as a barista, dialing in the coffee as a roaster produces it, and, yeah, it's it's and a, having that skill, I don't know. 
Yeah. Maybe it's, I'm crazy. No, it's a really interesting <laughs> question. Like, um, whose job is, yeah. is which? Yeah. Yeah. How much but, should the roaster change and how much should the barista? Well, exactly. And I think the thing is that, like, with this particular situation, like, I thought that, you know, a well-roasted coffee, Jamie's fantastic, and the guys are fantastic at the roastery. I mean, it would shine through regardless. And, you know, so... Well, no, you want that confidence, right? Yeah. It's great to be in that position. Yeah, so that was the... I don't know. <laughs> I can't tell, imagine telling Jamie Tribby, hey, go roast this this way, thanks. Well, I mean, I did think that. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Jamie. <laughs> I'm producing four espressos now, and then I can make some. Let's do that. Let's do that. This is the first year I'm using scales on the machine. Okay. And why did you make that change? I've always wanted to. I just didn't think I could find a set of scales that fit under. It's funny, right? The sort of scale side of it is something that so many we all use if we're not using volumetrics. But in competition, you sort of feel maybe think twice about not using them. Yeah. Well, uh, you do, it's, it's, not, it's mostly just because of the needing to put in the rhythm and kind of you're already building a routine around things, but I actually find it a lot easier to work with. So as soon as I realized that these scales would fit, yeah. I was really happy. Because at the end, for me, it's, it's better, I'd rather look at the grams, I'd rather look at the recipe, make sure I'm hitting that, than, than um, wonder. Yeah, sure. You do have a it visual indication, but we know how good that is, so. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Would you like me to carry two, or are you happy with We've all? got a tray. Wow. Look at that. We have a tray. Do we need, um, we've <laughs> got five people, though. We need more coffee. I'll bring four over, and then I, I can. I reckon there's some. I think okay. I can share. Welcome to okay. the couch. Although we're making you sitting on the throne. Okay. That's okay. That's fine. And Colleen will make the joke again about it being a game of thrones. It is a game of thrones. Yeah. See what game I've done there? Game of thrones. Yeah. Yes, well. That's all I've got. I didn't have much to work with. I'm sorry. Tumbleweed okay. just blew across. <laughs> I'm working on it, though. Do you guys want spoons? <laughs> Always a spoon in the pocket. Oh, wow, look at that. They, I'll do the whole thing. You do the stirring. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, five times now. Yeah. How many times in the finals? This is, this is the second time in the finals for Brista competition. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, five times. The f first year is always a weird one because I actually signed up like a week before and didn't know what I was doing. So, like, had no idea what it was. I was like, I've got to make some coffee. Okay. But, so, yeah. So, like, every year that you do it, does it, does it feel easier? Is it something that just comes more naturally? Or is it like trying mm. to, that consistent strive to get better, making it tougher? I think that having done finals before was useful because you kind of know what to expect. But I actually think this, this year's run of competition has been the most useful because like you have a whole year and you kind of forget. It's kind of like in Britain when you forget that it's going to snow. Like it's the same thing. So whereas when you're doing competition throughout the whole year, you're just kind of always training and you're gaining something for the last one, applying it to the next one, constantly kind of growing. And by the time, yet, like for me, it was a really exciting thing that this would be the last kind of competition because it's kind of the final stretch. So everything you learn up until then mm -hmm. builds into the next routine and kind of makes you think differently, which is cool. So you, you think you've benefited from the, the complete run? Sorry? In terms of headspace? Headspace is awesome, much better, like, much better. I think, I think last year, even, like, think about, like, competition in the past, and then think about this last, this year started with coughing at spirits, which you're kind of half drunk for anyways, and um, all the way through. So, yeah, definitely, the headspace is a lot better. I'm actually, like, even a few things happen on stage that... I was like, whoop, but it was, it was more capable of taking it easy and focusing. And that came from a Brewer's Cup experience, actually, I think, 
because a few things happened in Brewers' Cup and just managed to stay focused. You do seem very relaxed on stage, so it's it's really weird. Seem in control. It's, it's good though. It's yeah. good. It's finally right. It's taken how long? Five years. Jesus, it takes me a long time to learn something. So. <laughs> I, I want to talk about your coffee because I love yeah. talking to competitors about the, how they get to the choice of choosing yeah. that coffee for co because we've all got amazing coffees in our roasteries and then like they would all show up work and you have to make that choice yeah. what was the thing that made the choice for this was it the story and the varietal yeah. or was it you know something else for me it was an incredible opportunity to have basically the history of kenyan coffee and innovation of kenya in one cup like that was really exciting and i've spoken to a lot of coffee professionals who um not a lot some coffee professionals who um, have this kind of adamant only sl28 or you know this kind of attitude towards uh, kenya and for me, it was actually really important to come to a barista competition and purposely not do that and say, no, we're going to talk about the innovation across the board. We're going to talk about something that is meaningful for the future. And, um, and I just had the great opportunity of being able to get that coffee um, because Jamie's really, really awesome at trying to source really interesting things. So he already had it coming and I found it like amazing. So I was like, yeah, this is a story worth talking about. I mean, it's, it's very true. It's when you think about the whole Keturah thing, yeah. you know, where we, we insist on farmers in yeah. Colombia growing Keturah, but it's actually, it's so difficult in yeah. some places to do that. And it's not that varietals are bad. Yeah. They're just in the wrong place sometimes. When yeah. we, and then we have a formed opinion of them. Yeah. And things like Riru 11 and Batian are, yeah. are so interesting because I've tasted some amazing ones. It's yeah. like I've tasted fantastic catimores yeah. that wouldn't grow well in, exactly. you know, different places so it's the right varietal for the right place yeah do you think it was a do you think it's a bit of a risk then using something that isn't a traditional sl28 and SL24? it's always a risk but that's the thing i, I i've realized especially like i've always kind of known this but i've realized especially this year why i compete and that is 100 percent to tell something stories someone's stories some something that's important to me so at the risk of potentially not winning it's a risk I'm willing to take because it reaches a bigger... The risk level. is necessary, though, isn't it? You, yeah, it you is. have to you have, rock Well, what's the point of doing something that's a given, right? Like, that's, like, otherwise you would just not get out of your bed, would you? So, I don't know. For me, it's exciting, it's interesting, and then it's a great opportunity. Like, when do you have that amount of people watching and listening to something that you want to talk about? It's, it's not often, so... It's very clear watching that you're incredibly prepared. You can see that straight away. Um, and that you're, you've got everything dialed down, you know exactly what you're doing. And um, when you take a risk like this, it's built on the fact that you're taking no risks with your preparation. True. So I think you're, you're putting all the risk in the right place, and I think True. that's really spoke Good. to you. With regards to the theme that you had, which was innovation, yeah. and the fact that you have used this potentially risky coffee with yeah. regards to the score sheet and everything, is this a coffee that the Taylor Street Barista um, customers are going to see in the shops as well? They have already, actually. Um, we've had it in the shops on espresso, on filter as well. Um, we had one of our wholesale clients who was buying some of our other coffee come in and do a training with me, and he fell in love with it immediately. He's like, I want it in my shop. Like, it's, it's, uh, so it's been out there already. Um, and actually, we're, at, you're, we're nearing the end of, of, the, of the coffee, so we'll have to wait till next year. So, yeah. The farm's owned by... WRC, did you? Uh, yeah, uh, it's a it's Coffee Research Institute farm, uh, Rukera. So basically, Rukera is one of their two sections of their research farm. They have a Jacaranda and Rukera, but they sell through Rukera because it is the, the base of their kind of front of the whole cool. research institute. Yeah. Was there an opportunity to taste the varietals in isolation at any point? No, or? unfortunately not. Um, I would love to. And that's yeah. something that actually has been inspired via doing the research that I have on this coffee and talking to the people that are working out there and have been to the farm. 
Um, and so, so I'm interested too. But I know that Batian, because it was only released in 2010, obviously to grow coffee, it's going to take a while for us to really get our heads around what's, what it's like. Um, it's, it's expected to be quite uh, popular in the future. When you say released, was that when they actually took it from a lab and put it Sorry? into production? When, when they yeah, like put into, yeah, so to put in, so they're basically all the trees, this is kind of like first points of the trees that we're seeing, the, the fruit coming out, and this is why it's going to take some, yeah, it's really yeah. exciting. Um, yeah, so that's, so that's going to be, but they do think that it will be one of the main ones we'll be seeing through there, um, partially because it is crossed back to the SLs, so there's quite a lot of kind of tasty notes that we're expecting out of that. So, yeah. So when this coffee's been in the shop, what's yeah. the customer's um, reaction to it? Because I know Kenyans can be quite opinion dividing as yeah. an espresso. Like, as coffee professionals, we go, yeah, this is amazing, and then customers can be like, What's been the general uh, reception for it? So, like, when we, when you have a Kenyan on the bar, it's all about communication, isn't it? So, it's all about chatting with them. And I think the thing that's really exciting about it is that it has something to talk about that's kind of bigger than maybe just even our industry, more about something that is bigger in the world, which is, you know, sustainability and um, the future of any industry. So it's a lot of talking about them telling what to expect and managing people's expectations so that they know. At the same time, I think that this Kenyan, especially in milk, uh, is not as intense as other Kenyans. It does very well. So in that way, it's, it's tasty. Um, it's a nice introductory. And I think if we're not willing to introduce our customers to something like that, then how do we expect them to, to understand what we're, what we're on about when we say, oh, Kenyan's amazing, right? So. So you were running it as espresso on Taylor Street? It has been run in some of the, some of the shops, yeah, because there's a bunch of shops, so we didn't like, run them in every single one, but some of them definitely. Like in this last week, it was in the Monument Shop, which is just above the training center. Um, so that was quite nice, going up and tasting my own my competition coffee like, on a different ratio. So. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> there's a bit of risk then in the uh, signature drink as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I looked down, I was like, mustard. Yeah. <laughs> How <did> that go? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it is a big risk. Um, again, like uh, talking, to, you've met Jamie Turby. He's a, an eccentric fellow who tells me like he's just made some sort of weird thing that I can't even pronounce or know what it is. It's, it's like the original hipster. Um, so he kind of said to me, "Look, the way is working really well, but you need something a bit to give it a little bit of the kind of that synergy. A plus B equals C. Something strange, interesting, or whatever." And on the basis of innovation, it made sense. Uh, but actually, I tried chilies as well because I wanted to see how the so pink lemonade has this like effervescence thing, and I wanted to create that. So I tried chilies, but the chilies didn't. I gave it. I guess it's the kind of vegetally side of it. They didn't work really well. Yeah, and they're, then I they're looked, quite volatile. Like yeah. using, it's hard to yeah. quantify like, what they're going to do. Like I've used them before with a Kenya, but I used them with uh, like I made a syrup that was like a cascara raspberry based syrup with it, so it was fine. Yeah. Uh, this situation, I actually am not even like gonna lie but I was like sitting there and I'm frustrated I was really depressed I didn't know what I was gonna do and then I looked at the fridge and I saw mustard <laughs> and I thought well <laughs> I'll try it and actually it was surprisingly we kind of mixed it around with some different sugar we started with different sugars and then uh, yeah we did um, found the honey worked the best and kind of softened it so it's 20 to 1 mix with the honey is that 30 right? to 1 yeah 30 to 1 yeah and it's so 30 honey one yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah yeah so are you gonna put that on the bar I would love to, I don't know. You should but tell Andrew. It would require, it yeah, would require Andrew, a bit of work. Bar, <laughs> it's fine, he says it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, it's cool. That's nice. If we were to try and replicate the honey mustard at home, which kind of mustard should we be going for in Africa? English hot mustard. Yeah. 
I tried a few. I even tried like the powdered forms. I've tried like I tried like different things, and it was actually really weird. But the English hot mustard was the only, and like literally English hot mustard is what it says. Like it's really is it grown here? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Is that the one with the little black things in it? No, that's the whole grain. No, the whole grain one. No, the, the like. You know the one that you like I, I feel it on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> Coleman's, right? It's I, I the, think it's English. The yellow. At all. I think it's just <laughs> appropriated <laughs> by English people. Yeah, we probably girls. conquered that too, Coleman. Yeah, after we did Ireland. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, behind every competition, there's obviously loads and loads of people who've helped you along the way. Is there anybody you want to kind of thank on the yeah. stream? Thank so, you are here. Yoko Bus has actually been there for me through several of the competitions, supporting massively and helping coach me and monitoring me is probably the best way of putting it. Um, yeah, it's very useful. Um, obviously, Andrew's over there having a very important chat. Thank you, Andrew. Um, Thanks, Jay Andrew. Jamie, Chirby, and Oit, and Michael in the roastery. Absolutely, they are all amazing. And um, as a team, they've done some incredible work. Uh, everyone at Taylor Street, uh, especially the trainees who came and watched me present this last week. Uh, that was intimidating and exciting. Um, yeah, and then I guess anyone, to be honest, anyone that I've met in my coffee journey, because I think they've all been an influence up till now, every single time I've competed, ideas, concepts, and watching other routines and things, so yeah. Well, it was a fantastic performance. Very well done. Congratulations on making finals. Big round of applause for you for Diana Johnson. You can, you can leave now. Oh, you, thanks. You, yeah, you, can, uh, <laughs> you, you can take the throne and, yeah, no, take the cups. Yeah, we we'll definitely steal them if you don't take them. Amazing. That was a great performance to start off today with. Um, we're going to move the conversation on. So I think in every break, we're going to have a little bit of a chat about different topics. We have a guest here today that we'll introduce shortly. Um, where are we going to go first, Stephen? Where are we going to go first? Well, I think we're going to talk about um, the barista and the kind of how we, uh, how to find a career, you know, from being somebody behind bar and going, you know, somebody like Deanna, who's been up today, has gone from being a, a shop barista to working through and being a trainer and you know, kind of learning new skills along the way. I mean, yourself, you started as a, as a barista and now you're a shop owner and you know, multi-millionaire, million book-selling, um, published author. Um, so, so, I mean, it's really just to talk about how that career can kind of be progressed because it can be quite difficult to find that jump from working bar to what comes next. I mean, Jesse, I want to talk to you because obviously this is your path as well. Um, I mean, how do you make that step as barista to doing something else? And is there a pathway? Um, well, I think the, from my experience, it really, to take the jump from bar into competitive barista, which can be the way that people choose to progress their career, um, often it really depends on how much support you have to then make that jump from the people who are running the business. Um, so I think it's really about positioning yourself as a barista in a company that you feel can can sort of platform give you that platform to jump from um, but when you are when you when you are inspired by a competition and you see that as a goal that you want to you want to make you know it takes a lot of time and investment personally but also allotting that time with your in your job to uh, to to make that happen as well so but i think the the career progression really depends on how much you you research into where you want to take your your career i think a lot of people to move away from bar, look at um, competition as a way to get to that. 
um, sort of take yourself away and see, you know, maybe I, do I want to be a competition barista? Does, does that research that you've done maybe pique your interest into roasting? And I, so for me, the, the way that I moved my career was by competing in, a, in the UKBCs. It made me sort of understand the, the production and the sustainability of the, the virtuous circle of what we're, what we're a part of and how that sort of, that piqued my interest. That was really where I wanted to start looking when I was competing because I focused it when I did my competition on that virtuous circle of good coffee production. And it was only in the research that I started to realize that maybe my focus for my career would be moving towards that. And so. It's difficult to think as well uh, as an employer, speaking from an employer's perspective, because like uh, at 3 fe we've traditionally promoted people that were baristas up through the business into like, roasting or wholesale or equipment sales, other things like that. Uh, and it's difficult because uh, on a number of occasions, and I think like Pete's one of these people and, you know, Juan or even Jen or whatever, you have people who are really good at being a barista. And the onus is then on the business owner to make a leap of faith to, first of all, trust that they will be good at what you're going to make them do next, because they may not be. And the second leap of faith is that you could then find somebody or train an existing person to be as good as that person is. Because effectively, if you have a, a viable, profitable, successful cafe, and you take your best barista out, and you're the one doing that, it's a very difficult step to take. So I think for business owners, it's really, really tricky. That's a really good point. Yeah, I wonder what your opinion on us. I mean, specific to, to the UK, I think there's the whole uh, freelance career barista, which... Uh, Coffee in consultant. My, in, yeah, in my experience, it doesn't it doesn't exist in most other places where the industry is, you know, reasonably strong. Um, and I think it's maybe the lack of to do with competition in the actual industry itself in terms of hospitality and cafes. I mean, I wonder what your opinion on that is. It's interesting as well because if you do take the freelance barista position as well, that you're kind of making yourself as the individual. Um, a barista, that's, that's kind of the career that you're putting. You're, you're an individual barista um, outside of a, a coffee shop. And the funny thing about, I, th I can understand as a, an owner of a coffee shop, you don't necessarily want to take out that best person because, you know, they, they're achieving, um, they're at the highest point of their, almost reaching the glass ceiling of their barista skill. And so sometimes leaving that and going into a freelance barista position can give you the feeling of uh, the next step in that kind of barista progression. But... Yeah. I mean, a question I want to throw out to all of you, actually, is, is, I mean, can you be a barista in a coffee shop and that be your career? I mean, is, is that something you think is, you know, sustainable? I mean, if you become a nurse, you go and work in a hospital and you're a nurse in a hospital, I, I, I mean, is, does that swap across yeah, the barista? I don't know. When, I, when I think about that, I think about some of the American guys, people like Liam, who's been behind a bar his whole life. I mean, he's stepping away from that now into training and stuff, but I think it really de it's determined by the scene which you're operating in maybe, but I don't, I think if we're talking about the UK, a long time career barista isn't necessarily a viable thing. One, because it's not really that valued, and two, because perhaps the industry hasn't grown to a point where it is something that is viable. And also as well, when you look at a career progression, just irrespective of the coffee industry, you, you, you see a career, as a way of economically working yourself up a scale to maybe put yourself in a position where you are comfortably saying my career is this and I am economically, financially stable in that. And I think that's actually where people can hit a stumbling block if you really want to maintain being a barista as your career, but then perhaps financially because you're working in a shop that might not be able to sustain a, a progression into a traditional understanding of career, that's often why people 
jump bar and move on to something else. So yeah. it's a financial question in terms of a career barista. What does that mean? So, yeah, uh, so you started in 2005 as a barista, is that correct? Yes, I did. So I, I know my stuff. <laughs> and um, like when you started as a barista, did you, did you get into that job because you wanted to be a barista or was it because you wanted no. to be something else? <laughs> no, I, I, um, I, I was actually studying, so I just needed some money to pay for my rent. Um, and uh, uh, I really was quite good at it, and I started to enjoy it working at the cafe, but I have to say, after three years, I was completely bored, and I had to do something else uh, and grow on. So I think that is also a big challenge in the barista industries. What do you do when you get bored behind the bar? Um, and you need a new challenge. And uh, I think the financial, uh, the idea that you want to grow, you know, and, and, and achieve something in your career is a big part of that as well. And do you want to still do the same thing in 10, 20, 30 years? Uh, not a lot of people want that. Um, and at the same time, I think also in the Netherlands, where I'm from, um, there's a lot of freelance baristas as well. Uh, and, and besides the fact that that gives you a lot of um, flexibility and, and do some other work on the side that's not just behind the bar or in different bars or events, which makes it a little bit more exciting and, and perhaps a longer term uh, career, is, is that how do you make sure you get a right pension um, or health insurance or if you're a freelancer, how are you going to pay for that? Which is, which is a huge challenge as well, whereas you would, where you would grow in your career, for example, um, now I work for a trader, I have a pension, I have health insurance, I can pay for all these things. Where as a barista, I couldn't really, I mean, I built some pension, but it wasn't really worth much. Aside from the financial aspect of it, though, I think there's, there's a societal uh, aspect to it in the sense of how, how you're perceived by your peers, by your family, by your friends. Because uh, I know when I was working as a barista, people were like, so when are you going to do, you know, get a real job, do something proper? And it's hard to, even if you wanted to be a barista forever, that expectation is a difficult one to manage. So even if you did want to be a barista for, forever, you, you might end up just moving on because you feel like, you know, people um, expect it of you. I, I find it really interesting, though, when you've got people working bars don't have a dream of becoming a brewer. You know, it's like, or go and work in a distillery. Oh, they do. Well, okay. But, but, you know, in coffee, we do seem to have this desire that, you know, we, we want to progress ourselves in, in, within that industry. And, I mean, do baristas, for instance, make great green buyers? You know, d does, a, does a barista necessarily going to be a good roaster? Uh, and I think there can quite often be very different skill sets um, involved in that. I mean, how do, we, how do we create that pathway that, you know, this is where you can go? And is there a way, you know, kind of going back to the question I asked initially, is there a way that we can actually make the job of barista a more sustainable long-term? And that can be a, a career path within that as, you know, within head barista, shop manager, you know, managing a group of shops, you know, similar to what you, you've kind of done with some of your staff at 3FE. Uh, well, for me personally, I think there's a lot, there, there are aspects to, like if you want to become a roaster, if you've been, like both of our roasters have been baristas and that helps. And I think two of our three sales guys in wholesale have been baristas. Uh, the guy who, who hasn't worked in coffee, never been a barista, is just as good as his job as the other guys. So what, I think what it shows me is that I think when you work at somebody, you can tell a lot about, you know, uh, you know how quickly they can pick things up, you know how intelligent they are, how ambitious they are, how hardworking they are. 
and you can learn a lot more about them in that in that three or four years working them, with them working as a barista than you do in a, you know a half hour interview with a random stranger. So you, you come into that if there is a promotion there, you have certain assurances and you know their bad sides as well as their good sides, which means that you know well this person can't develop you know. But there's always that leap of faith and it's it's there regardless of where you get uh, what their background is anyway. So I think it's like. A, it's, the skills may not be applicable to what the new job is, but it does show a degree of, you know, uh, I would say, intellectual dexterity. Yeah. I, Steve, you said before, some baristas may not make good green buyers, and often a lot of baristas don't make good baristas either. So I think it's the point that, I mean, people who so aptitude and a barista role is obviously someone that can be applicable anywhere else. But if, if the conversation is around how does one sustain the idea as a barista as a long sustainable career prospect in the broader sense i think it's more about how does the industry identify itself in the in the marketplace and how do we you know communicate the value of what they do as ambassadors you know to a, to the broader consumer perhaps because that's really the driving force behind behind how you know people might see a barista as a as a good career path and for the longest time i don't think it is but it is funny because i remember when i was a barista in new zealand it was something that you just did Barista, barista, barista. And as soon as I came to the UK, people were like, oh, you're a barista? Do you live in East London? And I'm like, yeah, I do, but I mean, you know, so it was, there was this funny identity around it, which I didn't encountered before. So I think, I mean, things are moving in various directions, but. To back up the green buyers aren't good baristas, I can show you my uh, Brewer's Cup score sheets and I prove the fact that they're not very good baristas <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> So what would you suggest um, to somebody that is currently working bar and, you know, they want to do something else? I mean, what, what, would, what would you see as the natural path for people to move on to, to, to do different things? I mean, we've talked about the coffee consultant, so, you know, trainer. I mean, training, not everybody's suited to that. So what if you, you can't do that? What, what, you know, what would you say is that next step? Well, what, what really helped for me is just put yourself out there, talk to people. Um, enter a competition, uh, see if you can go to events, meet, yeah, basically meet people, try new things, um, especially if you're not sure what part of the coffee industry, if even the coffee industry you want to, w want to work in, um, and, and get to talk to people and get a chance. Um, when I stopped working as a barista, I started working more as a trainer, well, that was something that did suit me, which was great. Um, but I've worked with a lot of trainers that perhaps sh shouldn't have been a trainer or a store manager who perhaps sh shouldn't have been a store manager. Um, but what really helped me when I transitioned from a, a trainer to what I do now, which is more quality, is just talk to people and send open letters and talk to um, different companies about the positions that they had and if that would suit me. And the conversation always helps you along. Do you think there's a role for the, the SAA and, and other interest groups to help Bruce's kind of progress into those roles? Is there structures we can put in place? Is there... I, th I, really I think... Th sorry, you go. Right, thanks. <laughs> um, I really think that the SCA as a whole is actually really um, a really great platform to use for people to kind of branch out. And one of those things takes form in something I'm part of, which is the Barista Guild of Europe. And um, going on from Sarah Ann's point about getting involved, um, one of the things which really helped me kind of hone in on what I was interested in was volunteering at events. 
Um, because if you're in, a, you're in a coffee shop and you're feeling that perhaps the, the, the job that you've been offered by your manager to be a shop manager in terms of giving you more roles, maybe that isn't right for you and maybe you would not be a good shop manager. So you, you might be in a rut of thinking, well, I still want to do this. I still want to be in the coffee industry, but I need to branch out. And a way to kind of put yourself out there for one, but also to, to experience other things is to go to the events which the SCA have available at all, all times. And volunteering means you're able to, by its nature, uh, network because you're interacting with people that you wouldn't meet in your day-to-day. -day. But also you're around events that might be to do with other aspects of the industry, which you may find just by being there and listening to those people might pique your interest. And I think that's the thing with uh, progression within shop. Perhaps people get put into the roles which they may not be suited for. You know, the barista, the barista as a role might be great for them at that time, but the next progression within that company might not be suited to them as individuals. And so being able to volunteer and put yourself in those, those positions is the perfect opportunity to spread your wings a bit and see what works for you as a... Yeah, I mean, currently the onus is on the individual, right, to show that yeah. commitment. Like, you paid for yourself to go to Columbia, right? Yeah. I mean, not many people would do that in your position. So, obviously, this is a lot about you, but, I mean, I think it's inevitable that the institutions will start to provide an infrastructure where the career is kind of embedded in that. Kind of like the wine parallel again, the song, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's also, you know, it kind of as soon as those parts of the industry become institutionalized, the Bristol's Guild, blah, 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 there's always going to be questions around how they operate and how they're doing things. And For instance, like I think the Q course, uh, as an example, could benefit from, you know, having a more of a focus or impetus on economics or of the supply chain, the value chain and stuff like that, rather than just being purely about, you know, tasting coffee. A lot of people come to me and they just want to know answers. They don't really, they're not really asking any questions. They just want to know stuff. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>